A very good afternoon to one and all. Uh, before we get started, half of our pastors are here. Uh, today's Lady Sunday, they get to take a break. Unfortunately, they don't get a day off. Yeah. Why don't we appreciate them? Yeah, it's been a while since I attended the 11.30 a.m. service with, uh, as my wife and I. Usually, we worship at the 9.30 service. Uh, I'd like to thank BIC for arrowing me to share the Word of God with all of you today. Uh, I thought I can siam this year, last year, actually, yeah. but he probably thinks I need more practice. Yeah. So, here I am. Yeah. Uh, I also want to thank uh, some, of, some of my friends they are here. Uh, it's probably the second service they are attending uh, because they had to serve at the 9.30. Uh, last year, when I spoke at Sydney Leisure, it was uh, very scary at first, uh, as that was my first time preaching. But after a while, I realized that uh, it was not so bad after all, because the hall was very dark. I couldn't see anybody. Uh, those of you who were at Sydney Leisure during our days of exile, uh, you can probably attest to that. Yeah? Uh, but today, it's, it's really scary, because uh, from where I'm standing right now, I can see all of you from here to here to here. Wow. So, God help me, please. <laughs> a few disclaimers before we get started. Uh, firstly, some of you in the LCC would have heard this message before, uh, but that was a short version. Uh, how many of you are Swifties, fans of Taylor Swift? Come on, don't be shy. No one will judge you. Most Swifties would agree with me that one of her best songs is All Too Well. Yeah? It was first released in 2012 as a five-minute version. Subsequently, she re-released a 10-minute version in 2021. And so my message today is the re-released full-length version. Yeah? For those who are hearing this message a second time, I guess God really wants you to hear it again. Huh? Next, my sharing today is inspired and adapted from two books, Generations by the Founding Pastors of Heart of God Church and The Generations Project by Ho Wei Hao and Dr. Tan Suin. Finally, my message last year was a light-hearted one uh, based on the assigned theme, Living a Fruitful Christian Life. Uh, I used PSLE science questions as sermon illustrations and it caused a bit of a commotion. Uh, however, I have to apologize as my message today is a rather heavy one. What I will share today is something that has been bothering me for some time. And I had to ask uh, PIC's permission to deviate from the assigned theme for Laity Sunday. Today, we will take a break from our sermon series on 1 Corinthians. Over the past few months, we learned that the Corinthian church had many divisions, differences, and disagreements. First, there was the Jew-Gentile divide. Then the division between rich and poor. There were even differences on spiritual gifts, how some regarded certain gifts to be more superior than others. There were many factions in the church. Some followed Paul, some followed Apollos, while others followed Peter. And then there were those who thought they were spiritually mature and they claimed to follow only Jesus. 
Today, I will share on a different division. Today, I will share on generational divisions or generational differences. Today, I will talk about intergenerational discipleship. My message today is unlike our usual sermons. It is more like a sharing and I ask for your indulgence. With that, let us commit our time to the Lord. Father God, I do not come with eloquence or human wisdom. I come to you in weakness, with fear and trembling. Hide me behind your cross and use me as your vessel. Even as your word is proclaimed today, let it not return to you void. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today we will look at one of the most disturbing, one of the most sobering verses in the Bible. Our scripture text today is taken from Judges 2, 6 to 10. Let us read the first four verses together. Ready? Let's go. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went on to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Malkash. This is the word of the Lord. Up to this point, everything is going to plan. Everything is A-OK. Everything is sui sui. Let me continue with verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Let me read that again. After that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Hello. Did we read the wrong verse? Is there a typo in the Bible? I thought everything was going well just a moment ago. What just happened there? One of the greatest stories in the Bible is how God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt and into the promised land. God raised up Moses to lead his generation out of captivity in Egypt. But as the Israelites failed to obey God, they end up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Then God raised up Joshua to lead a new generation into the promised land. These two generations witnessed how God led them through the Red Sea, through the desert, how God gave them victories after victories, how God helped them conquer the land flowing with milk and honey. They witnessed the power of God and all the incredible works of God. Awesome! Two generations, Moses, then Joshua, and then Joshua died at the age of 110. And then we come to verse 10. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. The first time I came across this verse, I was stunned. I asked myself, how did it happen? How did this happen? 
Truth be told, I was tempted to brush this aside as a once-off occurrence. As we are repeatedly told in the Bible that the Israelites are a stiff-necked people and prone to wonder. Sorry for the pun. But as I reflected on this, I am reminded that as a church, one of our greatest challenges today is we have been losing our youths and young adults. On a national level, the 2020 census of population showed that the fastest growing religion in Singapore is... Which one? Which one? Yeah, you're right. No religion. What is even more worrying is this cut across all age groups, especially the 25 to 34-year-olds. The 15 to 24-year-olds are not far behind either. So what can we do or what must we do as a church? Research has shown that children, youth and young adults who develop relationships with older adults are more likely to stay connected to a local church. Young people need to be prayed for, called by name and shown that their interests matter. These kinds of relationships help young people feel belong and become integrated where there are familiar faces outside of their youth groups who they know, love and care for them. Unfortunately, many such relationships are lacking in our church. Young people need to be invited, included, involved before they can be influenced and impacted. But more often than not, we try, we try so hard to impress them, but in vain. We need to empower our young people, not entertain them. If we lead them, we will have leaders. If we babysit them, we will get babies. Empowered young people become producers. Entertain young people become consumers. Don't just invite them to the party. Give them a seat at the table. Our younger generation must know and feel that they have opportunities and abilities to make a difference. Many leaders in our church, they've come up to me, uh, they share with me that they want to have more young people in their leadership teams. That is awesome, but I think we can do more. Instead of inviting our young people to come and watch us play football, let's invite them to play football. Instead of asking them to be spectators while we do church, let's empower them. Let's allow them the space to experiment and make mistakes along the way. I believe this principle applies at our workplaces and even our homes as well. A wise man once told me that it is not the outcome that matters most to God. It is the process. If you think about it, God only needs to snap his fingers and the job is done. But God invites us to participate because it is through the process that we learn, we grow and we are transformed. Please allow me to share my personal journey. I rededicated my life to Christ in 1998 during a Holy Week service in the sanctuary. Thereafter, I joined a small group and got to know a very young Pastor Stanley Chua. 
He was our small group pastor then. He is our track president now. Even though my small group was great, I found I found myself lamenting to Pastor Stanley that we were too inward looking as a group. Guess what he told me? Stop complaining. Do something about it. Why don't you and your wife go and start and lead a new small group, which we did in 1999, and subsequently in 2001, it was small group year in Wesley, and there were several major events planned. And Pastor Stanley challenged me to lead a team to organize the final event, which was a dinner and celebration to wrap up the year. The target was 50 tables. We ended up with more than 100 tables. And incidentally, the worship leaders for that event were my wife and our very own PIC. Remember, bro? <laughs> Till today, I'm still amazed how Pastor Stanley entrusted such a huge responsibility and a huge budget to a newbie, a young Christian. He invited, included, and involved me. And as a result of that, I was influenced and impacted. He gave me a seat at the table. That leap of faith really set the foundation for my ministry. Legacy is not what you have achieved, but what you set in motion. Your accomplishments and achievements are not your legacy. If it dies with you, it is not legacy. It is history. Let me say that again. If it dies with you, it is not legacy. It is history. Only if it continues beyond you, then it becomes your legacy. Legacy is not about the past, but the future. Legacy is not what you leave behind, but who you leave behind. And so, our first discipleship lesson is: give the younger generation a seat at the table. Even better, journey with them. That is your legacy. Story is told of a young man who had planned to leave the church when he turned 18. After enlisting for national service, he used that as an excuse for not going to church anymore with his parents. But someone he knew in church, who was his Sunday school teacher for many years, and who continued to be his mentor, kept in touch with him regularly, and eventually he came back to church, not because of his parents. Not because of his friends, but because of this older person who journeyed and developed a relationship with him. At this point, some of you may be thinking, "I want to journey with the younger generation, but I don't know how to connect or engage them, let alone journey with them." Please allow me to share some insights. Traditional models of mentoring and discipleship are typically top-down. From the older to the younger generation, those who are older, with more years of practical experience, they have more knowledge and wisdom to pass down. We need the older generation to pass down their wisdom to the younger generation, whether that is in the workplace, schools, relationships, and marriages, or simply in what it means to be a faithful Christian in day-to-day -day living. The younger generation should learn to honor those who are older. And reach out to them and receive from them. However, the older generation also has something to learn from the younger generation. In our fast-paced and changing world, the younger generation is facing issues that the older generation has not.
faced before. Changing views in gender and sexuality, dating, marriage, justice and technology have led to practices and perspectives becoming normal, which older generations may have never faced. The younger generation is asking questions which the older generation may have never thought to ask. There is so much we can learn from the younger generation, and that includes new words and lingo. We also need to change our mindset that youth are the future and leaders of tomorrow. That is correct, but we need a mindset shift and recognize that youth are leaders today, not just tomorrow. And so a word of encouragement to the young people amongst us today, the Bible reminds us in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Intergenerational discipleship is not one way, from the older generation to the younger generation. It is two ways, and Bana Research calls it reciprocal discipleship. And these are some of its characteristics. It offers the older generation the chance to learn new tools and frameworks. It helps the older generation develop empathy and new insights into the experiences of the younger generation. It generates courage to have difficult conversations with people we disagree with. It helps us to lead with love in our relationships with those inside and outside the church. It offers a framework and a passion for engaging the world. For us older generation, and I can say that now because I am a young senior, we need to adopt a posture of humility to engage and learn from the younger generation. We need to unlearn the old ways and relearn new things. Alvin Toffler puts it across this way, rather harshly, but I think he's spot on. I remember the days when I was a freshman back in NUS. Back in those days, ragging was allowed. It was like going back to army where regimentation was practiced, and we even had to greet our seniors when we meet them. Yeah? In my second year, I was part of the orientation committee, and boy, I was looking forward to tekaning the freshmen. However, the student affairs department decided to ban ragging and regimentation. We had to unlearn and relearn, and the orientation ended up more fun and meaningful because we had to come up with a program that was more engaging and more welcoming. Wesley is a multi-generational church where there is tolerance among the generations with superficial and polite interaction. We are moving towards a cross-generational church where there is some sharing, listening and learning, but little individual or collective transformation. My prayer is that we will take the next step to become an intergenerational church where there is comprehensive mutuality, equality and reciprocity that brings about individual and collective transformation. Story is told of a pastor who was ministering to an elderly woman who was near the end of her life. She pulled the pastor close and said, Pastor, I don't like some of those new songs we sing in church, but the young people like them, so keep singing them because we need those young people. What great perspective from someone 
who recognize the importance of intergenerational relationships within the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes 7.10 reminds us, don't long for the good old days. This is not wise. And likewise, John Wesley says, to hold to the old. But if the old hinders the gospel, then changes and innovations must be made. And just to clarify, I'm not saying we have to discard the old. Instead, we have to balance old and new, tradition and innovation. The message does not change, but the methods have to change. This year, we started our intergenerational services. It is a good start, but this is only the first step for intergenerational discipleship to take place. Intergenerational ministry occurs when a congregation intentionally combines the generations together in mutual serving, sharing, or learning within the core activities of the church in order to live out being the body of Christ to each other and the greater community. Simply having multiple generations in the same space does not make the experience intergenerational. To be in truly intergenerational requires the generations to genuinely interact and engage together, where we equally value the gifts and needs of every generation. We learn, worship, serve, and build community best when we honour what each generation brings to the table. To summarise, intergenerational ministry is about building and deepening intergenerational relationships. It, it is marked by mutuality, where we all participate and benefit. Reciprocity, where we all give and receive. Equality, where we are all valued equally. And being intergenerational is not just about children. It's about people of all ages. It not, it's not just about what we do. It's about who we are. It's not something that just happens. It requires intentionality. In July this year, during its 136th Founders' Day celebrations, MGS launched a first-of-its-kind intergenerational learning centre located on a school campus in Singapore. According to the principal, they are reframing the narrative about how society views youth and seniors interacting together in our shared community space that is less about caregiving and more about authentic relationship building. Seniors and students who participate in the IGR program shared their experiences and thoughts. Let's hear from Auntie Meho, age 77. As seniors, we need to make the effort to have conversations with the younger generation. Listening to one another is important, and art is a medium that facilitates human connection. As a teacher of art, people look to you and I'm glad to be able to inspire and encourage students to want to do better and help them gain self-confidence and self-belief. I hope to add value to others and for everyone to be happy as there are already so many problems in the world. Let's hear from Nicole Cheng, a SEC2 student. Spending time with the seniors felt very refreshing. They gave me new points of view. I was also able to share my thoughts on mental wellness with them. Many things can be learned from the seniors, and I think that it is important for students to listen to their stories, lessons, and advice, as these can bring great value to our lives and future. And that brings us to discipleship lesson number two, 
be open to trying new ways of ministry. One of the new ways that we can try is to be a bridge between the generations. What do I mean by this? I believe most of us here belong to the baby boomer, Gen X, or millennial generation. According to the Generations Project, the two generations that disagree most with each other are the boomers and the millennials. I'd like to borrow an excerpt from the book Generations to illustrate how Gen X can be the bridge between the boomers and the millennials. God is a God of the generations. He declared himself the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Abraham is significant for being the father of faith and 13 chapters of Genesis are dedicated to him. As for Jacob, he's the father of the nation of Israel and eight chapters of Genesis are devoted to him. What is Isaac famous for? There are only three chapters on him. Isaac was the son of a great father and the father of a great son. He did not do anything significant. He was rather inconspicuous. Yet, Isaac is significant for being the bridge between two generations, between Abraham and Jacob. So perhaps for those of us who are Gen Xers, we, we too can be the Isaacs and be the bridge between the boomers and the millennials. Similarly for millennials, you can be the bridge between Gen X and Gen Z. Some of you may be thinking, what has today's message got to do with me? As the next gen doesn't really resonate with me. Truth be told, I used to be like that too. I've always been involved in adult ministries, whereas my wife has always been passionate about young people. She used to serve in the exco of youth ministry, and then she moved on to start and lead a young adult zone in small group ministry before starting and leading our campus ministry. Every time she talked to me about the next gen, I used to brush her off and say things like, this is a strawberry generation. They are so entitled. Don't waste time. Ah. Sounds familiar? Guess what? God has other ideas. After being lay leader rep for discipleship and nurture and small group ministry for two years, our dear lay leader called me one day to inform me, inform, eh? inform me that he's assigning me to the next gen ministries. My first response to him was, can no one or not? His reply to me was, please pray about it, which is a diplomatic way of saying no. Lah. <laughs> so what to do? So I prayed. Lah. As I prayed, I sensed that God is heartbroken as many of our young people are leaving the church. I told God to break my heart for what? Break yours. And God impressed upon my heart to make an intentional effort to connect, empathize, and serve with the next gen. If you are like me, why don't you pray and ask God to give you a burden for the next gen? Or you can visit our ministry fair at the rooftop <laughs> after service and check out the next gen booth. Talk to our volunteers there. Don't rush off for lunch. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say to each other, see you at the ministry fair after service. And please mean it when you say it. And that brings us to our third and final discipleship lesson. Pray and ask God to give you a burden for the next gen. To summarize, these are the three discipleship lessons for us today. 
One, give the younger generation a seat at the table. Even better, journey with them. That is your legacy. Number two, be open to trying new ways of ministry. And number three, pray and ask God to give you a burden for the next gen. Even as I begin to close, can I invite the worship team to come? This is a common scene in South Korea that you will see at night. Other than being the land of K-pop, K-drama, kimchi, and Korean fried chicken, which we all love, there are also many churches there with their neon red crosses lighting up the night sky. I witnessed it for myself when I was in Seoul with my family in December last year. The Korean church revival is both an amazing story and also a tragic one. Before the Korean War in the 1950s, only 4% of South Koreans were Christians. By 1985, that number went from 4% to 34%. Literally one in three South Koreans was a Christian. What an amazing revival. However, by 2015, the number had declined to 22%. And it gets worse. In the same report, the number of South Korean youths between 10 and 19 years old who profess to be Christians had plunged to 3%. The great Korean revival only lasted one or two generations. In another 20 years, when the post-war pioneering and praying generation passes on, Korean Christianity will be worse than before the war. If nothing miraculous happens, by the next generation, the Korean revival is over. I can imagine Satan and his cronies saying to each other, we let them have their revival for 50 years, but we played a long game. We couldn't stop them from building their cathedrals, but we targeted their children and their grandchildren. The massive church buildings with the neon red crosses that dot the Korean night skyline will be empty in the next generation. They will be like the cathedrals in Europe, sold and turned into restaurants and pubs, just like this place in London, the Mackertal Mayfair, which used to be St. Mark's Church. I pray that this will not happen to us in Singapore. I pray that this will not happen to us in Wesley. Let us close this time in prayer. I'd like to give us an opportunity to respond to God today. Some of you would like to journey with the younger generation, but you don't know how. I want to pray for you. Some of you want to ask God to give you a burden for the next gen. I want to pray for you. For parents whose children have left the faith, I especially want to pray for you. Can I invite you to open up both your hands? face your palm upwards if God is nudging you please don't hesitate to respond we don't have much time God our Father you are the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and you are our God you are the same God and your love endures through generations Father you see the hands that are open to you today come by us we pray we want to journey with the younger generation and we pray that you will show us how to reach out to them in love.
Teach us to be affirming, encouraging and empowering. We pray that we will not talk down or prejudge the younger generation. Help us to be a safe space for them. Help us to be good listeners. We also pray that you will give us, for a, give us a burden for the next gen. Many of our young people are leaving the church and you are heartbroken. We pray that you will break our hearts for what break yours. For those of us whose children have left the faith, I pray that we will continue to persevere and not give up. We pray for our children who are lost in the world to come back to you. Father, you answered prayers back then and we believe you will answer our prayers now. You are the same God. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people say, Amen and Amen. Thank you for listening.